But you, men of God, flee from these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you have made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. This is the word of God. Good morning. Such a cool video there. The city. Uh, I just want to say what a privilege it is this morning to be preaching here at New Eden. Um, and knowing Joel, uh, we got to uh, know Joel before this church was even planted. And it's so cool to see your faces here this morning. Joel has prayed for you, has wept for you, has rejoiced, has worked hard. You have an amazing pastor. I think you should know that. Um, he, I love Joel's pursuit for, for Jesus' righteousness. I love his humor. I love his strength. I love his vision that he gives. And we just want to commend you, Joel, for doing such a great job this, um, in, in gathering these people. This morning, uh, we are going to be going through 1 Timothy 6, 11 through 12. And just a little bit about myself, so you know, I've been married for 12 years to my amazing wife, Rosalind. I have a little girl who we adopted uh, day 10 of her birth. Um, she's four years old, and we just found out that we're pregnant, so we're, we're, uh, we're pretty excited about that. Uh, I've been leading the church at Freeway Church for three years um, in North Carolina, originally from California, Los Angeles, and just love the friendships that we do have uh, with people from the leaders cohort like Joel. And so it's a little bit about myself, but we're going to be going through the scripture this morning. And what we're seeing in 1 Timothy is that Paul establishes a church in Ephesus and he writes and encourages them, we get the book of Ephesians, of what it looks like to live this amazing life of the gospel, to, make, to follow Jesus in everything that we do. And he reminds them time after time what we have in, what, in the work and the sacrifice of Jesus. After some time, he sends Timothy to Ephesus and he, and he gives him the commission to pastor the church, to love them, to care for them, to protect them from the many wolves that are coming along uh, towards them. And so we get the first letter of Timothy. Um, and we see here that he's, he's teaching them, giving some practicals and what it looks like to push back, to, to protect against false uh, doctrine, be, between false uh, teachers that would come in and preach something different than what Paul has preached to them of the pure gospel of what Christ has done in the spirit that we have in the hope that we have in the consummation of Christ. And he's teaching them that they have a new way to live. If you're a believer this morning, if you believe in Jesus and live out that life, you are living in an entirely different way than the world would live. We have been given his spirit that dwells in us, that is sealed in us to live a life of, of love and peace and joy and patience, the fruits of the spirit this morning. And what we get is in the last chapter in verse 6 is where our text is. Paul, for the second time in this letter, is charging Timothy. Timothy was a young pastor. Paul is a mentor to him who released him and raised him up. And he's charging him to confront false teaching. It's so important for pastors in today to confront false teaching. And so he's encouraging him. And this is what he's, he's telling him to confront against. We see this in verses 3 through 5 in 1 Timothy 6. He says, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not, have a, does not agree with sound words of the Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching according to the God, according with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy and dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. 
imagining that godliness is a means of gain. We can agree when we look at, at, at Paul talking to Timothy that there's some things going wrong in this, in this church. There's some things that are going wrong, that people are coming and teaching something that is completely different than the foundations that Paul laid. So Paul gives them some practicals, how to deal with these people, but he ends this part of the letter with some encouragement and some instruction, which is our text this morning. Oh, man of God, flee from these things. Pursue righteousness and godliness and faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold. Grab onto. Hold tightly the eternal life to which you were called about you made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. It's God's word. So what are some takeaways this morning that we can get from, these, from, the, from the passages that we just read? Number one, we're called to flee from evil. We see this in verses three through five. He's saying to, to flee from this type of living. And we see the literal application in Genesis 39 where Joseph is coming to the household and he flees from a married woman who is trying to seduce him, who's trying to catch him up. And he runs out, leaving his cloak behind. What, what, what we see Paul's time, he's saying, like Joseph, Timothy, run whatever means necessary to flee from avoiding these pitfalls. Flee from, some, from people who are teaching false doctrine. And we can earth that a little bit. People who are speaking heresy on Instagram or on Facebook who are just wanting to just talk on, on, in the corners of soapboxes from gossiping, the things that are going on. Flee from those things. They're not good for you. Flee from, from, the, from people who are unwilling to accept the truth. Ever met those people who just love to debate? Who just love to, to tell you what's wrong with scripture, to love to tell you why you shouldn't go to truth? He said, just flee from those things. Don't allow yourself to entertain them. Take every thought captive, we see in scriptures. It says flee from those who are being puffed up and conceited. What does that mean? It's people who are prideful. Always wanted to prove they're right. Always wanted to prove what they believe. Always wanted to prove you wrong. He says flee from those type of people. Flee from the craving to fight, for the, the, the craving for, for controversy. Sometimes, even, even as believers, we crave to have controversy because we want to stand for things that we believe in. My encouragement, and what we see here, is to flee from those things and stand for righteousness. Stand for what Jesus stood for. And the last we see, flee from doing evil things just to get ahead. It's so easy to cut corners in the Christian world. It's so easy to cut corners in, in our culture. Why? Because we just want to be right. We just want to be ahead. I, got, I just got to get that 401k. I just got to get that, that security for my family, the 2.5 children. I just need to get those things. And so we cut corners. Taxes comes up, and we didn't really spend, we didn't get that much money in. We cut corners to get ahead. And when he's saying this, to flee from that type of living, like Joseph would fled, fled from a situation. But it's not just to flee, but he calls us, number two, is to pursue Jesus. What do I mean by pursue Jesus? We get this list of pursue righteousness. Jesus is righteous to prove godliness, to, to pursue faith and love and steadfastness and goodness. He gives us these six positive uh, traits that we should be pursuing, which is really pursuing Christ. Because if we try to pursue things outside of Christ, we'll never get there. What that happens is this white-knuckle Christianity. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to be better. I'm going to fight harder. I'm going to pray louder that doesn't get us any closer to these things. It's when we pursue Jesus. We are led by his, his presence. When we, when we pursue righteousness, we find righteousness and godliness and faith and love, steadfastness 
and gentleness. Many of these traits resemble the characteristics of a believer who has the fruit of the Spirit. When you said yes to Jesus, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. And when we live and follow the Holy Spirit, we, we pursue these fruits. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If we didn't have any other part of the Bible and we had this, uh, these, these traits of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, that would be enough to be people of love, people of joy and peace, patient, kind people, goodness, people of self-control. If we, just ha- if we only had one trait, self-control, that would be enough. Right? And it's not, it's self-control isn't, I'm going to hold my tongue. Self-control is, I'm going to hide in Christ. Because when I hide in Christ, he gives me the ability to be able to, to, to stay steadfast and to hold my tongue in those situations. See, the way to abstain from sin is to press in. It's to pursue Jesus. And what I've learned over my time and growing up in the church and, and seeing the good and bad and what the church has done and, and seeing in scripture is that when I live my life, if I'm all about saying no, if my whole Christian walk is no to temptation, no to gossiping, no to, to, to being greedy, no to those things, I miss out on the goodness of Jesus. See, I believe that Christianity, what we see in scriptures, is saying yes to him. When I say yes to Jesus and his will and living in the spirit, rather than I am saying no to those things. You see, Jesus has to be bigger than the problems ahead of us. If I'm trying to get over those problems to get to Jesus, we've missed it of the gospel. I get Jesus first. And when I get Jesus, I'm able to walk in the goodness and the good works that he's prepared for me. And when I'm walking in those good works, over time, through sanctification, discipleship, community, reading his word, praying, I look back six months, and I'm like, I'm no longer doing what I was doing. I had an issue of gossiping, I had an issue of greed, and as I continue just to say yes to him, those things seem to just fall to the wayside, right, as I pursue Jesus. Flee from evil, pursue Jesus. Another takeaway this morning would be to fight the good fight of the faith. How do we do this? How do we fight the good fight? What is he talking about in this portion of scripture? Well, we have to remember two things. I would say remember, hold close, write them on a piece of paper, put them in your, in your, in your mirror in the restroom. Remember this often. It's two things. One, it's Ephesians 6.12, that our battle isn't against flesh and blood, but against the principalities of darkness. It's important to understand that, right? How do we fight the good fight of the faith? It's not fighting each other. But the problem with fighting each other is that we miss out on the greatest commandment we've been given. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor. How do you love someone that you hate? How do you love someone that you're always consistently fighting? Jesus would have showed us what it looked like to to duke it out with people. He duked it out with the Pharisees, the religious people. But the people who were lost, who didn't know who Christ is, and didn't know from the left to the right hand, he loved and pursued and cared and hung out with. Why? Because the battle wasn't against them. It was against death. It was against sin and and, and the effects of sin on, on a broken world. So, we, so how, do we, how do we fight the good fight if we remember that it's, it's, it's a principality in darkness, right? And Jesus has already won that on the cross and raised again. The second thing is in Psalms uh, 47.8, that God is still on the throne. What does it mean to fight the good fight of the faith? It's to remember that God is in control of all things. He does not grow weary or tired. He does not faint he doesn't get caught up in drama. He's not a 13-year-old kid who's not sure who he is. He is the creator of all things. And he sits at the right hand of the Father and establishes his, his dominion on earth. 
And one day he'll come and judge. But until that day comes, we remember that we're not some lone rangers. We see, we get caught up in our culture. We allow culture to, to be our theology rather than the Bible be our theology. We allow culture to say, um, I want to be the hero of the story. I want to be the lone ranger that is by himself, you know, the lonely walk, and I'm going I'm to take out the, the enemy and, and kind of like the 007, he's just by himself. I don't have any sidekicks, right? We think that's what we're called to be as believers. It's quite the opposite. The Bible, when it says it's not good for man to be alone, it's not just talking about marriage. He's talking about from the Trinitarian God, the communal God, births for its community. We're not meant to be alone. And so this idea of doing life alone, of fighting the fight by ourselves, we miss out on perspective. We miss out, miss out on growth when we don't have people around us who are saying, hey, man, the way you speak to your wife, the way you talk to your kids, that doesn't reflect Jesus. How do we fight the good fight of the faith is remember that it's not against people. Remember that God is on the throne and remember that we were birthed into community. It's not good for man to be alone, but he also says that he put the lonely into family. Have you ever been, have you ever been lonely before? Right? I've been lonely. I grew up in the church my whole life and I was, always felt like I was alone. But when, when, when the beauty of, 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 of the cross and the beauty of what Christ has done for me, the grace that he has for me, it opened my heart, the anger, the revenge that I wanted, the bitterness to understand that I'm a part of the body of Christ. Amen. Amen. See, what we should be fighting for is this, is this, this amazing mission we are on to love people. We should be fighting to love people. We should be fighting to come along to our weaker brother, fighting for souls to be saved, uh, um, to fight to see people at the end of time where all people are worshiping together the same songs, uh, uh, looking over and saying, man, I introduced uh, uh, that person to Christ, or I love them, that person. We get to see at the end of time that we're with people. That's, that's our gift. That's, that's the reward that we have, is we take a fight for those souls around us and also fighting for the next generation. The reality is, is if we don't raise up our young people, Right? We fight for that as a culture, as a community. If we, don't, if we don't fight for that, then church just dies with this generation. But we create a church, we create a community where people are fighting for that so that the young people will come in and see that they want to be a part of that as well. Pursue evil. Pursue Jesus. Fight the good, fight the faith. But here, here's, here's the reality. At least I found in my walk, again, grew up in church, Probably 13, 14, I've realized the grace of Jesus, realized that I was the Pharisee, realized that I was the judgmental one, realized that I was the one looking down at people. God rescued me from darkness. But the reality is, is I still battle. Even as a pastor, I still, I still fight temptation. I still fight uh, against what the, the schemes of the enemies, right? We're not perfect. But there's some obstacles that I think stop us from living this out, from pursuing Jesus, from fighting the good fight of the faith, from, from, from running from evil. And here, here's some of the obstacles I want to suggest this morning. Maybe it's not your obstacle, and you can probably fill in the blank of what that you struggle with to, to live this out. But here's three suggestions. Number one, an obstacle from living this out is that we like to dabble with sin. We actually like to dabble with sin. Um, I remember when I was a kid, we have a candle at a table for like a restaurant. And if you're any kid, you, you like to put your hand over it. Anybody else? Just me? So there's only 5%. Okay, I have the kids in the back. Amen. Right? And I would go over for a, a couple seconds and, and, and test to see if it would hurt. And then we'd leave it longer and longer until like it burns. And you don't want to pretend that it's burning. So you pretend like you're cool, right? But, but you, you go over, right? And sometimes we think that's what sin's all about. 
It's like, well, if I just flirt with that girl in the car next to me, if I just, if I just look at the, that, that website, if I just gossip a little bit, we, we think that's what sin is, we like to flirt with it. But here's, here's sin. Sin is a house that is scorching on fire. And you're inside of it, and you have to run out or it's going to crash all over you. See, that's what sin is. Yeah, we think, um, well, I'm redeemed, and that's true. I'm, I'm free, that's true. I have grace, that's true. But we like to dabble a bit with sin. When we see in Scripture, he says to take every thought captive. What is, that? what is he trying to say there? He's saying that any thought that is, that is not leading to you to righteousness or, or godliness or, or to patience, the, the, the list that we led, he says take, it, take captive that thought and surrender it to Jesus. Because it's not good for us to keep dabbling with sin. Here's the thing with sin, and here's the thing with, 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 with the devil. And I tell this to our churches often. The devil is in the slow game. Because if he showed himself to you truly, yeah. you'd be so freaked out that you'd just run back to Jesus. Yeah. Right? He knows that. He likes to just slowly allow you to get to that place. And if you guys listen to C.S. Lewis, and he often, uh, the uncle enemy and, 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 and um, his nephew, he says, how do I convince this Christian to do something? He says, it's okay that he goes to church. It's okay that he listens to worship music. What we don't want him to do is get to actually live it out. Right? Sometimes we just like to dabble. Sometimes we just like to entertain sin. Well, I'm, I'm mature enough to deal with this movie I'm about to watch. When 98% of it is borderline pornographic, right? I can hang out with these friends. I, I'm cool. I, I have, I'm strong enough. When all they do is talk about things that are carnal, right? It doesn't mean we don't hang out with these people. It doesn't mean we don't watch movies. You get what I'm saying? It just means that we are mindful that we're not inter- allowing, allowing uh, sin to just creep, creep through that door, right? We're just aware of it, is what I'm trying to tell you. Number two, maybe it's an obstacle for you. Instead of pursuing Jesus, we pursue what makes us happy. Right? The American dream. Big house, 2.5 kids, cute little dogs that never poops or sheds, right? White picket fence, 401k, making 130,000 a year. Some of you guys are like, that's pretty good, right? There's nothing wrong with making money. There's nothing wrong with having kids. But uh, Tim Keller says, when good things become the ultimate things, they become bad things. Right? It's not about your happiness. Jesus didn't say, I come, die on the cross, live in such a perfect way that I'm able to live, die in a horrific way, conquer death once and for all, ascend it back to heaven so that you can have a happy life. Oftentimes, we tell telling his disciples, Pick up your cross, follow me. They hated me, they're going to hate you. They killed me, they're going to kill you. Right? See, but the obstacle for us is, I work too hard to suffer. I work too hard in my work to make Christianity hard. I just want to be happy. I just, I just want to enjoy life. I only have you know, so, many, so many years left on this earth. I just want to take in all that I have. See, what I would, what I would encourage you and remind you is that we have a hope that is far greater than this world where Jesus' face is so bright that it lights the, lights the, the, the heavens. There's even no need for a sun. It's not about our happiness. It's about Jesus. And here's the thing I've learned as well in my walk. When I'm living out God's will, see, I, I took over this church three years ago. I was in a beautiful uh, place in Beaufort, North Carolina, two blocks from the water, uh, good family. We had a good job. I worked for a church there. 
and God called us to move to Cary, North Carolina. I grew up in Los Angeles. The suburbs weren't what I felt like God called me to, right? I'm from the city, right? Compton, anybody? Like that's, that's, where, that's where I rolled, right? And so uh, to move to this place, it, it didn't make me happy. It didn't make my wife happy. We had everything that we wanted. We could have retired in this town. Watch, remember, that's where it's filmed. That's where we were. Right? Beautiful seaside town. But then God had to remind me, it's not about your happiness per se. It's about you living in my will. And when you live in my will, when I'm in the center of God's will, whether I'm in suburbia or China or any part of the world, in that place, I find joy. Because Jesus said, with joy, he looked to the cross and endured. If Jesus can, then I can. Why? Because he's made a way for me. He said, follow me. He's went through the, the, the chaos of the world, carrying the cross so that we can be behind him, carrying our cross, following in his footsteps. And if he enjoyed and if he endured through the cross, then we can as well. He's given us the Holy Spirit to remind us of the good words that he said. He's given us community to encourage us on Sunday mornings and in community groups and when you hang out. But here's another obstacle that may stop us from living this out is if we like to fight. This one is, is 100% true of Christians. It's not just the world who's fighting. We're not just this bubble that's everything's perfect in here and everyone's fighting out there. I often think that in the church, it's more wicked than in the world. Why? Because we know better. We like to fight. We like to win. It's in our cultural DNA to win. I don't know if you understand that. You're born in America. It was in your DNA. You were, you were born in, in the sinful world. We just, Joel read about earlier. We're born in the sinful world, and we get trained from the beginning of school to win. And if you're second place, we're like rooting for the, for the underdog. We want the underdog to win too. I grew up getting a trophy for doing nothing. Why? Because we are, we are we're, win, we're called to be winners. And if we're winners, then our economy is going to be good. Our housing market is going to be good, right? If we're all winning, we like to fight. But Jesus fought the, fought the ultimate battle. He fought the ultimate battle and won so that you didn't have to fight that type of fight. It's not against flesh and blood. It's not about winning the person next to you. I remember working as an electrician for the first 10 years of my career. And I remember that none of the older electricians, my master electrician who was supposed to be training me how to do the trade, didn't want to teach me because he was afraid that I would do it faster than him and that he'd get fired. That's the culture we live in, right? That's the exact opposite of the gospel Jesus culture that we have, right? Jesus says, everything I have, I give. A good father knows how to give good gifts. He's not keeping it because he wants to be the, he really is the ultimate, right? So let's stop fighting for, for uh, prestige awards or, for, or for, 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 our, for people to know us and fight for all these things. Just take our hands off. These are the obstacles, I think, for myself that stop me from fleeing from sin and pursuing Jesus and fighting the right fight, the, the good fight of faith. So I'm going to give you just three things to finish, how you can live this out every day to, com to combat those obstacles. Number one, how do we live this out every day? Is to run to Jesus. We flee from sin and run to Jesus. 
Matthew 11, 28, 29 says, Come to me all who labor or are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This morning, you may be coming in, and you, be tr- you may be trying to flee from sin. You may be trying to pursue Jesus. You may be trying to fight the good fight of the faith. You're just, you're just made this morning. Can I tell you, we have a king, a savior, a, a restful God who's saying, come to me, and I will give you something that's fit for you. I love the story of David and Goliath, and David said, I can't wear that armor. I need something that fits me. That's what this, this scripture is saying. He says, I will give you something that is perfectly fitting for you. Jesus has something in his spirit this morning to give you, to take the righteousness. It's, it's this trade. He says, give me all that junk that you've had this week, all the, all the sins, the battles, the fights. That you've had. Let me give you something that's going to allow you to rest. And now we're just talking about taking an afternoon nap. We're talking about rest. Rest. Hurt people hurt people. Restful people bring an ambiance of rest, even to the broken world that we, go, we work in, that we live in. See, we're called to be ambassadors of reconciliation. How are we going to reconcile people if we're just tied up like a knot? When we breathe in Christ and his spirit and say, Lord, I need you. I love that first song. Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. When sin is at my door, when, when I feel like my, 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 my coworkers are against me, Lord, I need you. I need to rest in you. Run to Jesus. Because tomorrow morning, Joel's not going to be next to you. The worship leader's not going to be next to you. You're going to be by yourself in some ways, right? You have a a body of Christ with you, but you're going to go to work tomorrow. And you need to remember, because it's easy to remember on Sunday morning. It's on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday afternoon when you fight with your spouse, when you're yelling at your kids, whatever you're going, run to Jesus. I'm insecure. Should I buy this house? Should I trade this job? Run to Jesus. My kids are just talking back. Run to Jesus and let him give you rest. The second thing is to abide in Jesus, to rest, to stick close, to hide in Christ. Psalms 91, 1 through 2, he says, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High, not on Netflix, not on our work, not in what we do, but rest in the Most High, will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Oh, to rest in the shadow of the Almighty, which means that when if I'm out of the shadow, that I'm fighting by myself. But to rest in the shadow of the Almighty, he's my refuge and my fortress, my God. Not someone else's God, my God in whom I trust. Oh, I can abide in Jesus. Even if I messed up and I dropped the ball and I missed the mark, and if I told anybody what I did, they would blush. I can rest and abide in Jesus. The last one is to fight the right battles. How we, live it, how we live this out every day, it's run to Jesus, abide in Jesus, but fight the right battles. This one's a tough one because deep inside of us, we want to stand for righteousness. And that's good. That's something that God's, I think, put inside of us as believers. We stand for things, for, for those who are, take, who are being taken advantage of. It's, it, it's good for us to want to stand for those things. To, to be able to shout to the rooftop, to, to, call, uh, uh, to call whoever we need to call and say, this needs to change. It's good for us. That's what believers are on earth for. To stand for those who can't stand. I love Martin Luther King's, uh, uh, he says that, they tell us to pull our bootstraps up. He says, what if we don't have any boots? <laughs> We're called to, to walk with those who have no shoes this morning, with the gospel shoes on, and to walk with them and stand with them. 
But, but, but here's the thing about fighting the right battles. We have to fight, how we fight the right battles is to have our view on something bigger than just the earth, right? And who's that bigger? Revelations 21, one through five. It's beautiful. I come back to this in the last couple of weeks. I've been coming back to this time after time because it's been a reminder for me as I've wanted to fight on social media and Facebook, right? And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who has seated on the throne, behold, I am making all things new. And also he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. When it comes to fighting, it's been horrific to see those kids who were killed. Every day, just your heart breaks. And you just want change, and you just want, you're frustrated, and I'm talking about myself, angry, to the point that I want to fight, right? Fist fight. <laughs> I look back to this. I'm going to stand for righteousness on earth. But I, I'm only standing when I have this view that Jesus says he will wipe away every tear. And he will bring punishment on evil on the world. We are not the final judge. Jesus is coming back. Fire, sword, blood, tattoos, horse. Right? He's going to take care of the ultimate sin of the world. So let's have the tension of standing for those who can't stand. Tucked in there, right there, is this view of, of where we're going to be. This view of who's going to come back. Because it's, there's one thing to, to weep, and we're, the Bible tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. It's, it's good for us to weep and, 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 to, and, to, and to hurt for the, with those who are hurting. But the ultimate thing that they, that person needs is a hope. Regulations need to change. We can all debate about that. That's fine. But beyond regulations, beyond America, beyond our bubble Christianity, they need Jesus. And not just a Jesus that we see on TV, but a Jesus that we read in the word of God. A clear picture. He's going to be this great savior that wipes away our tears. No more death. No more pain. No more shootings, no more COVID, no more politics, no more rat race. We will be with him forever. When we, when we have the eternal mindset, we can fight the right battles. Because then it's not just about proving something. It's about showing Jesus. And when we show Jesus, it changes the atmosphere of wherever we're at. If you ever talk to somebody who's been hostile about something and you return a, a, a soft answer with a harsh, harsh person, it just changes the situation. We have a bigger view of Jesus. We have a bigger response of worship and how we respond. 
It's when we run to Jesus, when we abide in Jesus, we see that Jesus is our hope. We see that he was the ultimate sacrifice. It's because of what he's done on the cross that he, 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 he died this death that we deserved. He went in our, in our place and he's resurrected and he's in control of all things. When we believe in that and not just believe in it, this quote is from the theology book I was reading. He says, um, he says people, have, people have heard of God. The Old Testament proclaimed who God was. God came in the flesh and they've seen God. But he says it wasn't good enough. They had to experience God to touch my hands, feel me. When we experience God, when we come to the cross broken and fall on our knees, when we, when we say yes to the call he's calling us to, to, to come to him and he'll give us some salvation and life and life abundantly and joy and peace, all the things that we talked about. When we, when we go to the creator of all things, Decatur will be changed forever. See, the goal is to live this type of life so that everyone gets saved and you guys all have to move. Decatur is on fire, right? And then you multiply. And then you multiply until we are all with him singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. For was and is and is to come. All nations, tribes, and tongues singing one song. That's what we hope for, Right? It's a commission that we have. And Jesus' sacrifice on the cross makes this type of living possible. Don't be confused that it's about being better, working harder, praying harder, worshiping more. That's, uh, that's an effect of how you live, right? Let me pray for you. Lord, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. Lord, I just pray that what is of you would stick, what is not would just be not remembered. I thank you for this body of Christ. Thank you for the light that it is. Lord, I pray for steadfastness for this church, joy and peace and gentleness, all the things we just talked about. Would you do a work that's even bigger than any of the leadership team or church can even think of? Would you just bless them this year? Protect them. Ready them for the mission that you're calling them to. We thank you, Lord, that you are here and you are doing a work, and once you've started, you would complete. In Jesus' name, amen.